So this is now episode 76, I think, of the SitePen podcast. Um, Sounds right. I think Mick and I have recorded a bunch and then kind of like the Beatles, we just kind of keep them stored away for later. Maybe more like Prince, I guess, because doesn't he have like a whole vault full of music that is, is <laughs> like to be released, which I'm sure it's got some great stuff in it. Just like those podcasts we recorded and never released. Um, so this time it's Nick Nisi and Neil Roberts joining me, Tori. Um, you can try to find me on Twitter at the letter I, Tori, but good luck uh, spelling that. And Neil, you're at Potted Meat. I am. That is disturbing. And Nick, you're at Nick Nisi, N-I-S-I. Correct. Whew, I got it. I like the Twitter. Good job. So on, on Twitter, I have really enjoyed um, putting like funny images out that have Nick in them um, <laughs> and, and jokes and things. And so one of them was about, um, was about Vim. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but, um, but uh, Nick uses Vim. I do. It, I have one of those. He's just never, I, he just continue. It's all he talks about. So um, I thought he was going to be like, I, I thought at some point this was going to turn into like a multi-level marketing thing or like Scientology or something. <laughs> because of how much he just like talks about Vim. So um, anyway, I guess, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your Vimming and what you did recently? Okay, yeah. So I've been using Vim for uh, over three years now, coming up on four full-time. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm still learning as I go a ton of stuff, and I try and not get stuck in ruts of, how to do things by keeping cards on my desk that have different commands that I want to try and integrate and into my workflow and use and then practice those until I have the muscle memory and then write down seven more. So, um, but I've been really enjoying that. And, uh, as, as, uh, you said, I talk about Vim constantly. So, I turned that into a talk that I gave at a local meetup called OMG Code, or Omaha Maker Group, um, the code edition. Oh, is that of what that? OMG stands for? Because I always yeah. wonder when I see it written down. This makes more sense now. <laughs> yes, a lot of people talk about it. Yeah, I'm just gonna say this is like a really big group. I've heard about it a lot. Wow, I didn't realize it was that popular. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, like, I'm talking like college girls on Facebook talk about it. Like, yeah. that's how popular it is. Actually, that makes total sense. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> what's what's cooler than the Omaha Maker Group? Um, Nick Nisi no, at the <laughs> Omaha Maker Group is. <laughs> Actually, they're really cool. The, the stuff that they're doing there is is really awesome and way over my head, uh, especially the hardware parts of it. Um, but I gave a talk there uh, about my workflow a bit. Um, I use Vim and I use Vim inside of Tmux and did a talk about that, and I just, at the last second, decided to record my screen and my microphone of me just talking about it, and uh, then I posted that on YouTube, and six months later, I have over 50,000 views, which is pretty crazy. Wow. 
And uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. It's over an hour long. So if you like hearing me um, preach about Vim and its awesomeness for that long, uh, definitely check it out. I will. I I I will admit I skimmed it. I listened to you know the first few seconds. Um, I get enough every day though. I think that we're good. <laughs> but I recommend other people check it out just because it starts. It, it's pretty funny actually. Um, so it's it's worth if you're interested in Vim, which how could you not be? Um, that you know this is something to check out. I've actually always wanted to do it, and then I I've learned enough on to like be able to edit a config file. And that's about as far as I've ever gone in into it. So um, that's that. So uh, I mean, more Nick and other people tech video news. Um, so you guys, so you, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, Nebraska JS Conf and because those videos just went up last week. Yeah. So um, I also help uh, co-organize the Nebraska JS meetup. Um, and it's a monthly or bi-monthly meetup. We have two locations now, one in Omaha, Nebraska, and one in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, and so we have a bunch of people talking at those all the time. Uh, but uh, the other organizer and myself and a few other people, we were we got together and thought about having a conference and you know bringing in uh, bringing in people from around the country slash around the world to talk about JavaScript, but also highlighting some of the really good. Midwest developers that we have here, and uh, so we tried to find a good balance of that, and we we wanted to do something that was kind of unique. And uh, you know, I've been going to JSConf in Florida the last couple of years, and that's a really awesome experience. Um, just everything about it. It's at a resort. It's awesome, but we don't have anything like that in Nebraska. Like so resorts. Yeah, there's no <laughs> nothing that you would want to come come spend your time here. I guess. Uh, there's no ocean, there's no mountains, there's no... There's amber waves of grain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we're trying to figure out what we have, and Omaha's really known for its zoo. Uh, the zoo is, depending on what site you look at, uh, I think TripAdvisor calls it the number one zoo in the world. And uh, it's a really cool zoo. They have the largest indoor rainforest, cat complex, uh, indoor desert all these different things, and they're building more. And uh, so we thought about what we could do uh, with that. And as it turns out, the zoo has a conference center attached to the aquarium inside of it. And so we thought that would be a perfect venue for a JavaScript conference, a one-day JavaScript conference. And so we we did that. We um, organized it all, had a CFP, um, got presenters selected, got keynotes selected. We had Ethan Marcotte and... Christian Heilman come uh, talk at the conference and then uh, we put it on and it uh, happened on August 7th and uh, we had all the videos or all of the talks uh, professionally recorded and those videos just went up last week. So definitely some cool things to check out. Um, Topics on ES6, uh, the critical rendering path, um, performance in general, uh, streams, just a lot of good information came out of that. It was a lot of fun. I I actually watched some of the videos and I wish I could have been there. Um, mostly though, just because I, I like that you dressed up like the the guy from Curious George. Is that <laughs> are you the man with the yellow hat, or is that that's no? Not that's, what you wear? that's not what I was going for. Oh, that's okay. the first time I've heard that. It was close, <laughs> I think. Okay. 
uh, because we were at a zoo and I was the MC at the conference, um, I decided to dress up, uh, dress the part. And being at a zoo, I was trying to figure out what I could wear. And uh, I ended up going with um, the Hunter Van Pelt from Jumanji. So I had like an old timey uh, British hunting outfit. I had like a, a safari jacket, a pith helmet, um, <laughs> tall boots, and a um, oh, I forgot the name of the belt, but one a of those really smile, a yes. lovely smile. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking at the picture now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very <nice>. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just have to like oh, the reaction of people when they see you in that. Must have just been like the best. Yeah, actually, I got some feedback on it, and I stayed in that costume the entire day, and. It was so hot. I, like, I, I, I kind of prepared for it and I brought like a, a decent sized fan and set it on the table in the closet slash green room that we had. And uh, I would just go in between talks and sit in front of the fan for a bit. because well, I, I like that you prepared <laughs> for your joke because I generally don't. And then the ramifications are really, really bad. Um, <laughs> so that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. And the feedback I got was that the the fact that i i stayed in costume the entire time just added to the the awesomeness so I, that was pretty fun feedback to get that is totally awesome um so i just realized completely aside here that i am recording in mp3 for my voice but i'm recording you guys in uncompressed audio Good times. I'm on the ball. <laughs> Whatever. This is just behind the scenes podcast magic, people. You'd I think after 76 episodes we'd get this. Right? Yeah. No, I, I, I won't. And you know, I'm just going just gonna to tell everyone that I'm actually sitting in my basement right now because minutes before we started recording, um, I, so we all work from home. We are a distributed company. And uh, there were landscapers who show up every day at some house on this road. Every day someone is getting landscaping done. I wish I could coordinate and just do it one day. Um, so anyway, it's super loud and they're just blowing things all around out there. And so I had to move to the basement and I didn't have anything prepared on my laptop. It had just got back from the shop. So I had to download a bunch of software really quick and try to get something going. And so this is kind of a gorilla episode for me. Um, unlike the other 73 episodes that we've done where they're much more professional. Well, those were all recorded so perfectly that it's a shame that this one is not perfect. I know. I know. And, you know, it's really, you know, I'm letting the fans down. You know, I know we get a lot of a lot of fan mail and a lot of tweets and stuff. Um, and, you know, I apologize. This is just, just the way it rolls sometimes with me. Um, so another sound that I heard off the distance was the hype train. I think I'm going to need to do a little <laughs> sound drop right here for the hype train because it's just too good to not. Um, so this is a, a segment that Nick came up with that I love the idea and uh, it's all about the hype because there's a lot of hype in this industry and I love it. Um, but there's a lot of stuff I don't love with the hype. Um, so before we get to the current hype, I wanted to revisit one of my favorite hypes of the past. One of the fads that I'm glad is gone and that caused us so much grief. Um, and Neil, you were there. I know you remember. Yes. It doesn't validate. <laughs> oh, oh. Neil, why don't you tell us about what that was like when you were developing on Dojo 0.4 back in the day, and that was the refrain of everybody. It doesn't validate. Well, this was, this was the height of the standards body wars when the XHTML, or 
board and the HTML guys were all fighting over which of their proposals will become the dominant doc type of your HTML documents. And um, there were a bunch of problems. Uh, everyone wanted everyone to have the slash close on the tags that didn't have matching closing tags. Um, over, over the years, the OCD up, in me but, actually likes that. But, yeah. you know, it's taken me a long time to get out of that habit. The, it's not a good assumption to make that people are going to write perfect code every single time. Oh, that's uh, absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> Especially me. The thing is, HTML was always written to be uh, pretty lenient in how it enforced uh, mistakes that you made. So you ended up with all these people that had no real... Uh, background in all the linting and stuff you need to make sure you write perfect code. So you'd put, you'd write some code, you'd make it all work, and there'd be this one environment where everything would break and everything would get messed up for no good reason. We're not going to point fingers at what environment that may be. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, one of the, I think one of the reasons that people were really obsessed about it is that there was a big drive to using uh, XML-based parsers. Um, because at the time, uh, a lot of the the like the libraries that you would use uh, for the different languages to parse HTML into DOM uh, weren't very tolerant, and so they a lot of them needed uh, perfect XML in order to parse quickly and even sometimes parse at all. So I think that was one of the big driving. I think you're being a little kind, though, it. saying that that's a big reason. I think that might be <laughs> a big reason why it was pushed, but then you get the zealots well, ideology, kind of yeah. <laughs> go out there, and then they're doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. But yeah, yeah, like that's great, but like the reality of the situation is that you know we need these things to work, and if we need to add in, you know, what what we're basically talking about is like with with Dojo and you know with Digit specifically is that there were custom uh, attributes that we we're putting on, uh, yeah, and people were flipping out like you can't do that. This is it doesn't validate now, and it's like well, great, but like this is you know you don't have to do it that way, but you can, and you know if you do, then this is how you do it. And you know I think there was a lot of people just going crazy about that. And there's just so much back and forth about it. And then, you know, nowadays it's just like, well, obviously there's a way to add attributes, but even that, it feels like people really could care less now about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think, I feel like that was a really big, there was like a second stage of validation. Like the people got obsessed just with well-formed XML. And then once people were like, oh, that's not a big deal, then it kind of switched over to uh, every property needs to be documented and everything needs to be properly namespaced and have a schema document attached to it. And yeah, it got a little overwhelming. Yeah. Well, and then there was still even, I mean, you know, at that time, it felt like there was a lot of people who, and, you know, this is a not an uncommon thing is to get people who will say, well, this is the way you're supposed to do it. So do it. And you're like, yep. okay, well, that's, that's great in like theory, but like, I'm developing this thing in reality, and the reality is is that my customer who's going to be using this is never going to see that, but what they are going to see is the experience I can't create easily without doing this. You know, um, and one of the things I dealt with was like, great, don't use tables for layout was great, but in 2004, when you're trying to use CSS for layouts and there's certain 
environments that would choke on things, but you needed to make it look a certain way. A lot of times you could spend two days crafting this perfect CSS solution that wasn't yep. perfect at all, or you could just slap a table in it and move on because you have a deadline. And, you know, in the end, your customer is never going to see that code. It doesn't matter. You know, so it's like in theory, great, but in reality, who cares? You know, um, I still kind of take that approach to things, but at least our stuff's a lot better now. The pattern here seems to be overreaction, right? Like the reason that people said don't use tables to do layout is because people were using some ridiculous tables to do layout. Yeah. Like 10 level nested tables. And I think that everyone can still agree that that's a bad idea. Some people still but, are doing that. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's, not, that's not great. I mean, I think that even though we all advocate pragmatism, that, that that's going to cause some problems with a yeah. lot of stuff. Uh, even the, the big argument that a lot of people made was accessibility because a lot of screen readers would read every single note of every single table and, and tell you how the table's all laid out, and that's not any fun. But just having like a single table on a page that lays out three things across the screen, it's not that big of a deal. And yeah, there are some people that will take two days to implement the same thing in CSS that they could have done with 10 minutes of uh, HTML tables. For sure. So um, as we look at, that was definitely my favorite example of a fad that has come and gone. Um, are there any that you guys could think of that are your kind of favorite examples of a fad that you're like, oh, thank God that's over? Well, the one, the one that I remember, uh, I went to Java 1 probably eight years ago or something like that. Uh, and the big uh, trend at the time when I went there was doing everything on the server. So like, you wouldn't write any HTML that included any JavaScript libraries and stuff like that. Uh, every bit of JavaScript you wrote had to be encapsulated into this uh, thing that was served from the server and executed itself on the page. Uh, and then the, you know, the client library did everything. But there was just this movement to running everything on the server. Isn't it kind of going back there a little bit? Yeah, I was uh, going to say, isn't that called Node? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, all, for example... We're all on, this, all on the client. Like, they seem to, there seem to be, like, camps that want everything to happen in one place. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead with Node. No, I was just... Did, Nick, did you... You sound like you are starting to say something there. Oh, yeah. I mean, from my not using Ember at all, but reading about Ember, uh, about Ember a little bit, doesn't it provide a way to to run the exact same application in the same way even if JavaScript's fully disabled on the huh. page? Because it does, it can do server-side rendering of everything? I hadn't messed with it. Huh. I used, I used Ember to, to try to do a mobile app, and it ran too slowly, so I scrapped it. But that's my, my one experience with Ember. Yeah, I have not used it. <laughs> not yet. Um, so there's things that people are using quite a bit of um, and things like React um, and like Webpack. Uh, and, you know, kind of have you guys used some of these tools? Um, and, you know, what do you th- are, is it something that's kind of here to stay or are these just kind of intermediary tools until these other things are going to come along that? You know, I, I think that's kind of the hard thing that a lot of people are struggling with right now is just that it feels like every two minutes there's something new and better, and that's what everyone uses now. But 
I guess it's not really clear if everyone really is using these things or kind of as Nick before when we were talking about it was saying, um, is it just that they write a hello world tutorial on a blog and, you know, that's the extent that they've used it. Yeah. I think, I think kind of to build on that, the one thing that, you know, when I'm working on, on projects in my free time, just to stay sharp and, and to do things and, you know, just to experiment, uh, the first hurdle I always have to get past is what should I, you know, oh, I want to do this cool thing. Should I use this framework? And and then I kind of freeze a little bit worrying like, oh, if I learn, I, I could learn this, but I could also learn this. And I don't know, does that one, will that one be around and supported later on? Even though my projects never last more than, you know, a week. So <laughs> the support goes, <laughs> will work just fine. But it's like, it's like, what? what do I want to invest my time in? Um, because w- what will be around in, you know, five years or whatever. What, what, or, or, or what dependencies that it has will be around in five years. <laughs> that's yeah. A, yeah, that's a good point too. Well, I, uh, I just experienced that myself. So I, I know that you guys, not so much, but I am a huge fantasy football nut. Like I, if I could quit my job and just do like fantasy football, I wouldn't because I love my job, but I would somehow <laughs> do it still because I love fantasy football. And I joined a league because at the last minute they had someone drop out and I was like, okay, cool. I'm in. And I didn't know anything about the league. I just agreed because that's what I do. And then they sent me to this website and it's awful. Like I've never heard of this, this, uh, fantasy football site. And I was like, wow, this is like, I'm talking, it's so bad that it, you're thinking, okay, like, did, did it, someone who used to do like GeoCities work, like do this? Like, it's really awful. And, <laughs> you know, like the site itself, I guess, um, you know, it's got a lot of nice features, but it's really stuck in like the year 2000. Like, it's really hard to use. And, you know, when you go to like Yahoo or ESPN and you use those websites, or those apps, you know, they're very visually rich and they look more modern. And then Are you they use- using custom attributes? <laughs> I'm going to have to look because I'm going to make sure that they validate. And if they don't, I'm tweeting about it. <laughs> so I, I look at this, this, oh yeah, but this site is all laid out like tables everywhere. Like, because I mean, it's, it is very tabular data, but it's also tons of nested tables and tons of things. But anyway, it looks horrible and it's just simple stuff that the designer in me is like, oh man, I could like fix this in no time. Like it's so, this isn't really even hard. So I started doing that with a user script. I just like grabbed a user script and I got to just inject some CSS. And, you know, the more I did that, though, the more I realized that there's some features that really bother me. Like when you start your set, your starting lineup, you have to select, you know, you have a big roster, but you can only start 15 people. Right. But their thing doesn't actually every category in our league, you can start between one and four, but you might have eight right players in this category or you can start between one and three of this category. But it has to total 15. But nowhere on the page do they tell you how many you've actually chosen so when you have a 30 person roster and you have to choose 15 and between these different categories it becomes really really difficult because you don't really know like you uncheck a couple you check a couple and then you're sitting there counting over and over on this poor website so i started thinking okay i could write a quick script to just like tell me how many you've selected before you hit submit and then it gives you an error then you go back and it lost all your changes because that's what this site does there's no ajax there's nothing it's it's bad so i started doing this right and i and this is where i'm going with this is that i started to realize as i wanted to adjust more of these uh, pages that the way i was doing it was really fragile because i need to 
you know, there's stuff I need to do on every page, like query to find all the players or query to find all the stuff and just, you know, grab different parts of the DOM and manipulate it. So I was like, okay, well, what I want to do here is just like, you know, make this a little more modular. Like I just, you know, this was like a throwaway thing that I started to take a little more seriously. And then I looked at, okay, well, when I hand this off to the commissioner who actually can implement this theme I created, because I realized that I can make a theme, like they support theming. So I was like, cool, I can just like give him this code. I have to use a user script. Well, now I'm like, well, I don't know how to instruct him to do this because I can do it, but I don't have the access to do it. And I don't know that I can really instruct him how to do this. So I was like, okay, well, can I just give him like one file that just like it's all combined together, right? So then I'm like, okay, I could do that. So I started looking around, well, what are my options? And man, there were so many options. <laughs> to the point where I'm just like, I'm Googling for probably two and a half hours. Now, of course, I have all of you guys as a resource that I could just go to, but I would much rather do this at night after I had a couple of drinks um, by myself. So I did. Um, and I, I finally came across Webpack because I was like, I'd heard you guys talking about that. Um, and I checked it out and I was like, okay, cool. So I start trying to use it, right? And then I'm like, oh, I need templating because like I'm writing all these strings, right? Because I want to manipulate the DOM. And I started to realize I want to like add in a better scoreboard that shows the scores and stats better. So as I'm doing this, I'm adding nodes. I'm just use, using these jQuery strings, right? Like I just, because that's how I started because it, it included jQuery in the page. So I was like, I'll just use that, right? So anyway, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm like, oh, I need templating. And there was, again, 9,000 choices. And I'm like sitting there going, Okay, like I just need the one that works for like me. Like I don't need it to do anything fancy, right? I just need it to be the most basic thing. And the choices were like absolutely overwhelming. Um, so I finally got like something that worked, but you know, I spent half the time just trying to figure out what I should use, where I could have been just using something. But the difficult part was is that since I'm not like a, a developer like you guys, where like, you know, I'm a designer, so I can write bad code really well, but I can't write really well code at all. So I I was like Okay, so now what do I do? You know, like, uh, how do I make that decision? And as I Googled for things, I kept finding tutorials that would tell me, okay, well, if you want to do this, just use this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And decoupling that and figuring out which pieces I actually needed was very difficult because every tutorial you read has some different set of things you need that you, you know, there are alternatives for, and none of them seem to line up. And so it's a very... I guess by the way I'm going with that is just it's it's a very difficult prospect when you're just starting out trying to you know what you need to do but what tool you need to use is like impossible to figure out and every day there's a new cool tool you should be using and I, I guess how do you how do you manage that like how do you how do you even figure out what you should use without doing days of technical review? Well, I like what you seem to do here, which is look for an article where someone talks about how to do something without any other dependencies yeah um so oddly enough on javascript weekly there was a um uh, james nelson wrote an article and it was called learn raw react no jsx no flux no es6 no webpack um at first i was actually thinking that what he was saying was kind of like the whole learn raw javascript before you learn, and I was like, wow, like, we're, are we to this point yeah. now? But that's not what he's saying at all. He's actually, like, that's how I interpret it. So, of course, I click on it like, dude, really? And then I start reading what he's writing. And he's just saying, like, there are all these articles out there. And it's just, like, telling you how to use React but with these other things. It's like, well, what if you just want to learn React? What if you just want that? And that's the very difficult thing right now is, what if you just want this one part? How do I use it? And everything seems to be centered around, how do I use it with these nine other things that have fallen out of favor or are 
not as well supported because everyone's jumped to something else. And, you know, it's just a, a constantly ongoing uh, dilemma that makes me frustrated <laughs> as a non-engineer yeah. who writes bad code on his spare time. I agree. <laughs> yeah. End of topic. Next. No, I, I agree <laughs> as well. That's that's kind of one of the, the big problems. And I wonder how long we're going to be able to, you know, have articles like this come out where you don't have to, if, if I just want to learn one specific component, I don't have to learn the entire NPM registry first. Um, and I think that that's one big shift that's happening to JavaScript right now with everything, with ES6 coming out and with Node uh, being, you know, r really popular and everything. And uh, like if, if you just wanted to learn JavaScript, you know, five or 10 years ago, you open a browser and you can start playing with it right there. Or you can go get uh, one of the three frameworks that were around or, or whatever and, and play with that. But with this, it's like, oh, well, especially with ES6 now, like, you know, if I want to use ES6, I have to first go compile. I have to figure out how to transpile it. And I have to, you know, there's, there's just a lot more setup. If I want to use any kind of module, I have to learn the module syntax that the chosen path is, is using, whether that's CommonJS for Node or AMD, or if you're using something in like ES6 modules and transpiling back to one of the others. Like yeah. there's just a lot more that, that you have to learn. And, and you can't just like com come to JavaScript and, and pick it up. You have to learn a lot about these dependencies that make JavaScript manageable today. And once you do, it makes it really nice. But As long uh, as you choose the right ones. That's well, the hard yeah. part, right? Is that <laughs> there's nothing that really like not there's nothing. I'm sure there's lots of stuff out there. Like I mean, we provide JavaScript training, and in this case, you know, the tools that we the things that we teach are you know we will teach everything from you know basic uh, just you know JavaScript itself up to you know using Dojo up to building applications and using intern to test and all these things. But you know when you have a weirdly specialized case like I did where, you know, jQuery is on the page, so you're going to utilize it. And you're kind of writing this, like, user script kind of like thing where you're modifying something. You don't really have access to things. You know, you start to get confined, and then you start to, you know, when you're looking at all these things. And, you know, everyone, I think that even in at work every day, where people who go to, you know, work every day, and this is what they do, you know, they're coming into environments where they're not necessarily choosing what they're going to be working with, but yet they're having to kind of work within those confines. And it, it seems like it's getting harder to find... You know, like as stuff, as new stuff comes out, like the old stuff becomes harder to find any decent information about. But I also felt like even in the case of modules, I felt it very difficult to find even a decent overview of what the differences were on a practical level. Like I could either find stuff that was like blatantly, you know, this just might be poor Googling while I'm drunk too. Like I totally could. But, you know, it was either stuff that was like, super high level like don't use that it's terrible or it was super technical on all these reasons why this one you know amd is slightly different and better than you know common jl so you know what i mean there's just all these and nothing was like practically speaking here's what's up you know what i mean that i could find easily i guess so i'm not sure I mean, how we can counter that go ahead Neil. sorry go ahead I would say the, the one thing that I've always done in terms of uh, figuring out what's worth learning is that I 
I usually default to the things that I know. Uh, and then every now and then I'll run into a, a, a rough corner. Uh, and that's where I start uh, actually looking for uh, some new tool, which is basically what you run into as well. Um, I think that that really helps you nail down, like if you're just using Google, what keywords you want to use, right? Like you, you, you run into a very, very uh, specific type of situation. And yeah, you don't want to end up with a whole framework that solves your problem, uh, which is what you run into a lot. Uh, and I think those are just easy to toss away. Like if you are just trying to solve some very basic problem and you have to use an entire framework to do it, that's not the right solution to your problem. There's probably uh, some small bit of code that someone wrote or, or uh, a portion of a larger project that you can use to fix it. Uh, but when you run across some some crazy framework uh, in order just to get something small done, then, then you can just keep moving on from that point. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, that's definitely what I found as well. Um, well, you know, the solutions that I came up with that I ended up with... Um, you know, using Webpack mostly just, firstly, I was really surprised at how, um, how easy it was. Like, it was actually not hard to get it set up. Um, and I felt like the documentation was actually pretty lacking. Um, I, I think it's a great tool. Um, I know that people are also, you know, there's kind of like Browserify. It's like people use that for a similar type of thing, um, if I, as far as I understand it. Um, and the documentation there is like maybe a little bit better. And when I say documentation, I mean not like, the API documentation, but like, you know, how to use it, you know, how to get started with it. I felt like there was parts that were like pretty vague and I sifted through and figured it out. But once I actually got it to pull, you know, I got it set up and got it starting to pull in my code. Like I didn't even write modules. Like I just had a bunch of crappy code that I had slung together for each one of these views I wanted to change. And I'm, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to, I'll, you know, make these modules, make this a lot better just because I want to, you know, learn more about this stuff. But like the fact that it could pull in that crappy code and it just like, condensed it all together and it worked i was really surprised like i really <laughs> thought i thought okay here it comes it's like gonna completely air out and the first time i ran it it just worked and i was like well it must not have worked that was my first assumption <laughs> this did not work and i went yeah. and there's a file and i included that file and it worked i was like wow this is uh that's pretty amazing um yeah it's a good think, sign yeah it's it's a good sign tools are coming a long way um but yeah i think that's a a, a good answer um and then just dealing with, oh, I just felt the same way about like, there must have been some, I, I wasn't really into uh, a lot of this stuff a couple years ago as much as I am paying attention to some of it now, but like the JavaScript templating. So yeah. Neil, when I think of templating, I always think of you because you did the DTL templating. And this was yeah. for Dojo. Um, it did the Django templating language uh, in Dojo. And this was like in 2006 or something. Like, I mean, it was a long time ago. And I didn't even before like, that. yeah, it was probably before that, wasn't it? And I just like remember going, I don't understand what this is for. And then you explain it to me. I'm like, that's cool. But like, why? Why? Like, I did not like there was at the time there was way less. I felt like I got into snares where I needed something like that way less than I do today. You know, like now yeah. I can see so many uses for that, that back then, you know, it's kind of one of the things that felt like it maybe was ahead of its time because it's like, it wasn't super novel. Like you didn't rec you know, create something for the first time, but it's like, you know, it just felt like it wasn't very applicable at the time. And then you were really jazzed about it and you wanted to use it for absolutely everything. <laughs> like I, yeah. you're just like, Hey, let's like use DTL. And it's like, okay, we're just like making a blog right now. Like, I don't know what you're, what are you talking about? Um, but I, I went searching for like templating languages and I found like the same kind of just mass of tools doing the same thing. 
with different, slightly different syntaxes. And it's just like, yeah. okay, like, wow. So there's a lot, yeah. of, <laughs> a lot of the same thing out there. Um, yeah, and someone sent me a link uh, to a page that compared all the different templating library uh, code bases. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to find a link to it or not. Um, but what's neat about that one is that they kind of had, whether it runs fast or slow, whether it just outputs a string or whether it actually modifies the DOM, and it had all these little checkboxes, and you're like, that's what I want these library authors to write on their page. Yeah. Like I want I want them to just say, like, this is a library that's optimized for speed. In order to do that, it just gives you HTML. You know, it and then other ones that are a little bit slower, but then they keep their variables updated. Uh, you know, you kind of wish that people would focus on the thing that differentiates them between the different libraries because there is a reason that there are so many templating libraries, and it's because you have uh, so many different reasons to use a library in the first place. Yeah, for I think sure. We, yeah, I think we found the link. No, yeah. yeah, that's right. And I like that, that now, right. um, yeah, this is the, uh, so, so you need a template engine chooser. Um, it's yep. pretty popular. And I like that, actually, um, it, it seems like relatively recently, they've, there's this big banner now, this tool is not being updated, more info. Because <laughs> um, I mean, that site, like, I think when, we were, when I was working on redoing the Dojo website, um, I had kind of went through a lot of pains with templates, um, and mostly because um, there is existing stuff, existing like build tools that Dojo needs for documentation, like the API docs and the reference guide that use different templating systems. Like one uses Jade, and then one uses um, uh, I'm totally blank. Oh, Sphinx to generate. Um, and since I was kind of trying to make this more of a static site, I had to build these you know build scripts that would run all this stuff, but uh, then I just ran into the same kind of problem of, well, I need templating for my thing. What do I use? And it's just that on and on where, well, now I have three templating systems because it's the same kind of thing. Like, well, this one has this use and that's why it's used there, but this one has a better use. So it's used here and you end up with a different system for all these different things. And it's just like, uh, they're all doing basically the same thing. But I think the solution is to just write your own. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. In Vim. In yes. Vim. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but then like not necessarily templates, but you know there's a lot of things, a lot of libraries and and code that you use to give you like to make you more productive as as a developer. And then yeah. now these features are being, you know, not in the exact same way, but in in a very similar way, being built into the language now. And so how do you like if you were going to, I don't know, make a blog or something today, would you use a a templating engine still? Would you just try and hack something together with template strings and do things, you know, kind of by hand, what, what, what would you do? Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Neil. What would you do? Because I know what I would do. It, it depends on the application. I think that templates are really, really good for uh, a very large, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll use the term widget, but a very large component that, that is represented by a lot on the screen. Uh, I think a really good example of uh, templates working well is with Tumblr. I don't know if you guys are too familiar with the way that they do their, um, I guess they're called templates or, or themes. Uh, if you've ever looked at them, it's basically you just give them an HTML file and it's got a very basic template language that you inject your different components into. Uh, and that kind of application is, is just, it's really great for templates because most of what you're doing is display. It's not a lot of uh, back-end code. Most of what you want to accomplish can be done with HTML 
and a couple of logic loops and some filters and plugins and stuff like that. That's, that's where I think templates really shine. Yeah, I know what I would do, and that's scream that there's not a better solution. Because <laughs> it's very tempting to look at the solutions that are there and say, I'll just write my own and underestimate wildly how much effort that would take. Um, <laughs> it can, be, it it can be very simple. complex depending on what you want to do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and you know, there's WordPress, and then you're like, oh, I, I don't need WordPress. Like, I, I blog never. But, you know, I don't want to set all that up. And then you look at the other solutions where they generate, you know, um, content, which is what we do at the Dojo site, where it's all generated, and then it's a static site, um, and that works well enough for that because it's not updated all the time, and you know, it, it's mostly static content anyway. But then you get to the blog, and I, I contemplated switching over to something like Ghost or you know, one of these other systems, yeah. and then. The more you look at it, it's like, well, is it worth switching at this point? Because they feel like they're immature. And you're like, oh, maybe I could just like create this simple thing. And they start to think, okay, I could do that. But then I've just now created another problem in the world by creating, a, <laughs> creating my own solution to the same. And, I, and I, it'll be immature because I won't finish it. I won't get anywhere with it. Um, and I write bad code, so you probably won't want me doing that. But um, <laughs> so... I kind of wonder why there hasn't been more like Tumblr is such a good example of uh, like a playground where you can, I mean, you can do anything you want with your content basically. And I've always wondered why it hasn't been a, a bigger thing for developers that are looking to try new stuff. Cause if they wanted to, they could make it so that their Tumblr renders code that goes into their templating language of choice and, and assembles it like that. I mean, you can do so much interesting stuff with it. Uh, and I don't think that I've seen a lot of people just experimenting with different ways of uh, presenting the content that they have. You could write a Medium blog on that. Yeah, <laughs> I should. <laughs> <sighs> that's, the, that's the opposite of a playground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so moving on to uh, Neil, he wanted to talk a bit about widgets. And I think yeah. this might hopefully dovetail into that a little bit. Yeah, so we've, I mean, we've been looking at uh, whether we want to stick with the current widget system that we have uh, with the current version of Dojo, with the release version of Dojo. Um, talking about the Digit project specifically, uh, which is a kind of simple, it's a model view, well, not really even, it's sort of like a view template system uh, where we just have a, a view controller that connects itself up to the DOM. Uh, and then the, there's a kind of a relationship uh, back and forth between the two objects. Uh, and I think the, the conclusion we've kind of come up with is that we've learned a lot of stuff since then, uh, and there are a lot of different ideas uh, that have already come out. Um, Kit, our CTO, uh, actually put together a really good uh, post just for us internally. I don't think that it's shared everywhere, where he goes over a lot of the different thinking that there is right now uh, on templates. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up just so I can list off uh, all of the different stuff that he outlined because they're, they're pretty pretty interesting. Uh, here it is. More thinking on widgets. All right, so he talks about uh, control form, uh, MVC, MVP, uh, I should probably read the descriptions. Uh, so MVC would be model view controller, MVP would be model view presenter, uh, and then model view view model. 
Uh, and he talks about the flux model, uh, the store query dispatch model, and kind of goes over all of them. But there's, I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm listing off all these different ways of, of the way that people have thought about uh, relating their, their data, their code, and their presentation layers. And there's just a, there's a whole ton of them. And the way that, that uh, I guess we're kind of leaning right now, because we're still in the really, really early stages, uh, is looking at kind of the model that Flux uses. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting to talk about, because one of the arguments that they make uh, is that, Okay, they don't really make this argument. The way that I want to present it is similar to what they make, um, but I want to present it. Well, in my just own put words. words into their mouth. Yeah, that's just. I'll, I'll say, say my own words. Yeah, say your own words, but say they said it. Uh, As quoted by Einstein. Here we go. Uh, basically, that the type of web development that was done uh, before we had a lot of rich browser interaction was basically you get a request, you'd process the request, and you'd dump out some HTML. Right? It, it, what they call stateless for the most part. Uh, and in that model, it's very, very easy to track down bugs and uh, problems that you ran into because it's all it's so replicatable, right? Like if you just send it different data, you get back a different response. But then the different the response you get is exactly the same every single time. Uh, it, it's it's reliable, it's replicatable, and kind of what we've run into in the browser with uh, with our widgets and with a bunch of the other widget systems uh, is basically that you have. Incoming state, right? So you have events from the user, but then you also have the stateful representation of, of everything else going on. And then you don't just have your code, you have code that uh, we have the library code, right? And then we have code that you've written yourself. And the library code might make assumptions about what the internal state is, even though someone else has changed the internal state uh, between the time that it, it knew about it and, and now. So you have this... Uh, the way things work right now, you have this very you have this environment where you have to worry about so much stuff, and there's so much indirection between user interaction and what gets displayed on the page that you run into all of these uh, bugs. You run into race conditions. You run into uh, being unable to replicate errors. Right? You end up with this page that uh, all of your users are telling you doesn't work. Uh, when they when they do some action and you try to do the action and you can't replicate it because they've done something else before they actually ran into the problem that you don't know about. So uh, there's a really good video uh, about uh, Flux. It's the, it's the last blog post that they have. Uh, oh no, it's a specific blog post. Um, they talk about this. Uh, they did this talk uh, at one of. Uh, their conference breakout sessions uh, about why they come up with Flux. And the basic argument they make is that that method of doing things where we just had a web server that took a request and gave a response uh, is actually a really good way to get around bugs uh, in the browser. And they have a, an example where they were having trouble getting the unread notifications to match up with the notifications that were displayed on the page and how moving from the very stateful system that they had to a very stateless system uh, in Flux saved them a ton of bugs. I'm all for eliminating bugs before you create <laughs> them. So I think it's really interesting that we've just run into this culture of indirection. And it's, it's interesting to kind of question how we ended up with uh, people being willing to tolerate so much of this sort of nebulous 
stuff going on in the page that we can't really debug without getting onto that person's computer and, and, or having to send back a ridiculous amount of data back to the server in order to debug it. Uh, because it doesn't validate, that's why. <laughs> like, because that's just the way it is, man. That's what you do. That's how it works. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting because for a long time, I kind of personally had the attitude like, well, you know, if, you don't, if you're not a good coder and you don't understand indirection and, and asynchronous events and stuff like that, then you should just spend more time learning that. Like, I kind of had that attitude before. But even if you're a really, really, really great programmer, you're still going to make the same type of mistakes that someone that doesn't understand uh, complicated indirection is going to make. Like, there's no way around that. Like, you're going to always make some dumb mistake, and you can't help that. That's absolutely true. So I don't, I don't know if it's just sort of like this uh, intellectualism that we're finally getting over uh, or whether it's some other problem that I'm not thinking of. No, it's because all the people who had that viewpoint it, thought that that was the answer, but then they ran into the same problem. So it's either that <laughs> yeah. they suck or everything sucks, right? So uh, I would rather... Time. Yeah, <laughs> we've had enough time to put in a lot of bugs into our code. Yeah, I think that's... That's accurate. I think that's that's the way it is for a lot of stuff. Where, you know, you, you think, oh well, yeah, if we if if just this, like, I think that it's a kind of a common fallacy that most people have. With I mean, everyone has this to some degree, right? Of, um, well, if things were just like this, it would be better. And then yep. you know, you can't necessarily see all the problems. So when you talk about anything from politics to coding, you know, your simple answer, like, you look at anything you try to create. Nothing, even this simple stuff takes a lot of effort to do. So to think that complex things have a simple solution to them is probably not true, right? Because simple things don't have simple answers. Um, And anyone who doesn't think that's true, if you think of the simplest thing of like um, a user has to log into your app and think about all the things you have to do to create that, like that's a simple thing that is too views on a page and yet the amount of things that can go wrong error statuses and they, like, it's not simple at all um, I think uh, web forms are such a good example of the difference between uh, kind of a direct and indirect model because doing web forms on a server is pretty easy I mean there's a lot of different patterns uh, to do validation on your forms and it all works relatively well but when I have to do form processing uh, in native code, whether it's JavaScript or um, if I'm doing iOS or Android development, I just, I hate having to do form code because there's so, like, it's so stateful and there's so much yeah, try crazy stuff it. that can happen. Like, like you know, you're you designing you stuff, that's what you have to, I mean, like, you know, it'll say you're, you're going to design, okay, I'll design the login page. And it's like, Okay, but there's like a million other things you have to design along with that. <laughs> you know, you don't really think about when you just say login page, and then you start to realize, wow, there's like a bunch of conditions that I have to account for and design for. Can you give an example? Yeah. Um, so I tried to log in and um, it didn't work. Well, or um, I tried to log in, but my account is suspended. I tried mm-hmm. to log in, but I forgot my password. Okay, how does reset password work? How does an error, what does an error look like, um, you know, in various conditions? I, it's just, there's a lot, you know, any, any kind of login form kind of has those things. And yet, 
you know, just how you how you approach those things, like they kind of have to you have to account for them or else you're going to give it to the developer and say, here's my login page. And it's going to be two forms with a submit button. And then they're going to say, OK, but like, you know, what happens now? And you they give you back this ugly form. It's <laughs> you know, like you try to log in and it doesn't work. And you're like, oh, like, that's ugly. Yeah. Well, you didn't tell me what to do. You know, <laughs> do you want it to when you like um, when you mouse out of a field, like, and that's not even just a login form, but just like a form in general, right? Like a filling out an order form. Well, when you mouse out of the field, do you want to validate then or do you want to validate later? How do you deal with, you know, when you're in a really long form, like how do you deal with when you get to the end and it validates and something's invalid? Like how do you communicate that something that's out of view now is invalid? And what do you say about it? Like what was invalid? And how do you save their, you know, information? Just like those types of things that, when you're thinking about things, you think of the best case scenario and then you realize that only exists in a very small percentage of things like that. Or that's that's a very small amount of work is the best case. And it's the rest of the stuff that is, you know, difficult to to deal with. And I feel like it's very much the same way about problems in general or like that, where they seem so simple on the surface. And then once you start to realize that you're like great creative solution that's going to solve every problem, you just find out you created 20 new problems that you had not foreseen. Yes. And it's all hard. <laughs> Every problem is hard. Good talk. Good time, guys. Anything you guys want to add as we, as we reach the end here where we're saying... This was a good second, I mean, 72nd episode, <laughs> 74th, what did I say? Yeah, 74th episode. <laughs> Thanks for being such a loyal listener for so many episodes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we do have the vault of all the episodes that we recorded. Um, so when I die, that's my gift to you all. <laughs> <laughs> but But Nick gets first. He gets first dibs at it because he was so gracious to be part of it. Um, should we do this again sometime, you guys? Yeah, I think so. I already have a, a future topic that I proposed. Do you? During this episode. So. What? I love yeah. that topic. Yeah, I think it should be good. This is a great topic. Well, we'll say we'll leave the suspense there. Go <laughs> um, hype. And depending on feedback, you know, I can definitely talk more about fantasy football. So if this you know, if this whole technical block podcast thing does not go anywhere, then that's what we'll switch do. Yeah, we'll switch over to fantasy football. And you guys can give feedback on that. You know, you guys can just pitch in and show, you know, we could play against each other or something. You know, whatever. So I'll have a segment where I discuss how uh, players' actual performance during a game did not reflect their fantasy score at all. Trust me. That, is, that is a big thing. See, you just, to, you just bring up a random thing, but that's an actual thing, man. Oh, I know. All my friends play it, and that's why I don't play it. I know. It's ridiculous. We try to get you to play, and you wouldn't do it. Never. I, don't, so I, enjoy, I, don't. I enjoy watching football. Trust me. You're going to enjoy it a lot more when you, <laughs> when you turn on a really crappy game, but you're rooting for players on both crappy teams to do something amazing every play. You're I like Red Zone Channel. <sighs> you're like... You're like, Kirk Cousins, just throw it a little bit harder to Jordan Reed. He's standing in the end zone, <laughs> wide open. Can you just throw the ball to him? And he does it twice. And you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> like, I don't care about those players. I could care less about that team. But they're on my fantasy team, so this is an important part now. <laughs> anyway, like I said, I can keep going. So we will, we will end it there.
Uh, thank you guys for joining and thanks for listening. We are going to be more doing this because now Neil's here and he likes to do this a lot and he'll keep me focused on doing it. I'm naturally lazy. So <laughs> I mean, busy, <laughs> busy, busy, busy. I'm a workaholic and I work on alcohol. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm cutting that. <laughs> I'm cutting all of this now. <laughs> I'm hitting stop. <laughs> Good thing going on. We got a good.